Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one bestseller, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of the medical merry-go-round? Are you looking for a potential solution to your health problem? Be sure and listen to our podcast, The Code Breaker. Welcome in on a Friday. It's the Rebel Report podcast. I'm Michael Borky. It is great to be with you and a few things for you coming up. So I mentioned yesterday, if you listened to the podcast yesterday, that I've got a, a football conversation in relation to a a tier ranking that came out on ESPN earlier this week and how Old Miss is a better job than it's given credit for nationally. And so I'll explain where they fell according to ESPN and why I think they are still overlooked in the college football hierarchy. They had a couple of Old Miss baseball players drafted yesterday and the SEC got ripped apart, got ripped apart for uh, its return to campus protocols, not including required testing for every athlete. In fact, you had a couple of sports reporters that said they should get tested a few times a week. Uh, I guess they didn't realize those tests cost about $90,000 to do it team and uh, coaching staff wide. As it turns out, that criticism was unfounded because uh, the physicians that the SEC worked with told them that that scale of testing wasn't necessary. So we'll look at all that coming up here on the podcast that is brought to you by LB's Meat Market, just across from Kroger on University Avenue. Stop by and go see Greg. Perfect weather uh, for grilling this weekend. Go by and see Greg. Uh, Of course, stop by every weekday, get a plate lunch as well uh, during your break. And uh, again, great grilling weekend. Uh, I know I'm going to throw something on the green egg myself. Beautiful weather. And take advantage now because we're in that window where, yeah, it's hot, but it's not like the second you step outside and you feel like you are in a sauna hot. So take advantage of these weekends. Go to LB's Meat Market and go see Greg. And uh, by the way, there is sports this weekend in some capacity, one that doesn't involve uh, cars. You do have the PGA Tour going on. I've got it on in the background right now as I record this. And Jordan Spieth, so he's off early this morning. It's about 10 o'clock as I record this, and uh, he's 10 under on the day. He's 5 under on his round through 10, Uh, so playing really, really well. You've got Justin Thomas uh, that is up there on top of the leaderboard. Xander Shoffley uh, also playing really well today. So uh, Kevin Kisner's up there. Uh, So a a star-powered early leaderboard in the PGA Tour's first event back Uh, from coronavirus shutdown. So uh, enjoy that over the weekend. I know I'm going to. I'm going to throw something on the grill and uh, get some yard work done, watch some golf. It'll be kind of what I would have done uh, regardless this weekend, uh, unless, of course, Ole Miss uh, or Mississippi State, because of uh, what I do um, for my job, uh, made the College World Series. Speaking of that, I know I teased uh, that football thing yesterday, and that's going to be the the majority of, of this podcast today. I do think it would be a mistake to not mention the two Ole Miss baseball players that were drafted yesterday. Uh, Major League Baseball draft, by the way. Uh, They got it right. Look, I love the NFL and I love the NFL draft, but it shouldn't take four hours to draft 30 guys. Um, They flew through the draft yesterday. I think the entire second round took an hour and 15 minutes. So it's just pick after pick after pick. They get that part right. Flew through the draft yesterday. Anthony Servideo went off the board first uh, for Ole Miss. He was the 74th overall pick, third round, uh, heading to Baltimore. Slot value, just under 900 k for that pick. 
and it, it, which is great for him, by the way. So what I'm about to say does not mean I'm not thrilled for the for the kid because that's just a, it's a special day. Um, think he's got a future, potentially could make a big league squad uh, if things fall his way. But I, I can't help but think. It, same thing applies with Keenan and just the team in general. I, I just this is another reminder of what you Ole Miss fans were robbed of with this baseball season. Because, I mean, I guess it, it very well could have changed, but Anthony Servidio was headed towards one of those seasons that people would have talked about for a long, long time. So when you look at Ole Miss baseball under Mike Bianco and the number of players and the performances that people mention with uh, Drew Pomeranz and Lance Lynn and, like, I had a conversation yesterday. Uh, somebody was asking about what Alex Yarborough was doing. Things like that. Anthony Servidio's season, the one he was having, and it looked like he was going to be able to sustain it, right? Because he played really well against good non-conference opponents, elite-level non-conference opponents. So it, I don't expect there was going to be some massive drop-off come conference play anyway. But he was going to have one of those seasons, that Ole Miss fans talk about for years and years and years down the road. That's the kind of year he was having, and that's the kind of year he was going to have. And I know the team was great, one of the best in the country. I mean, if you'd have told me they'd have made Omaha and and made a national championship run, I think everybody in the world would have believed that happened. That's how good that team was. But this is just another reminder of of what was robbed uh, from us with the coronavirus was Anthony Servidio was poised to have one of those kind of seasons that you just you talk about forever and and so really happy for the kid and I'm sure all of you are as well and it's a big payday of course and a huge opportunity and, and of course it's always good for your program to keep having players drafted this high and get uh, paid this kind of money it makes recruiting a little bit easier I imagine it just sucks it's just another reminder of um of what could have been, and I know I'm, I'm sure at this point you guys are sick of hearing about that, but man, well, what a year that that he was having. And um, last night, to me, was just another reminder of what could have been and the season he was going, going to have. Uh, Seattle drafted Tyler Keenan in the fourth round. Uh, slot value around $550,000, give or take. Um, he's an interesting prospect. I, I read a Seattle... Um, Mariners blog yesterday reacting to the pick of Tyler Keenan and um, he's got the bat speed he's got the hands that can translate to the next level they just uh, they mentioned that he's got to be next to somebody that's a little bit more athletic in the infield so um, the interesting prospect really good hitter uh, could stand to probably get in a little better shape at least according to this Seattle blog that I, uh, I read yesterday athleticism athleticism excuse me was a a bit of a question uh, for them, but all in all, really good. Excited for for Tyler Keenan as well. 107th overall pick in the Major League Baseball draft. But that's it. Just two Ole Miss players uh, should have. And I was talking to somebody yesterday uh, just about what these losses mean, and and let's not kid ourselves. Uh, Servidio and Tyler Keenan were both really important pieces to that team that was poised to make a big time run. But a lot of talent coming back probably have one of, if not the best, uh, returning rotation in the SEC, considering who else is leaving around the league. Um, should be a team, especially on the mound, but talent-wise should be able to pick up right where they left off last year. So really good uh, for the two of them. 
excited to see how their careers go, and uh, hopefully at some point maybe Major League Baseball can get their shit together and uh, actually put a season on and, and give them uh, you know, actual teams to play for and games to play on, but uh, we'll see. I saw a little bit earlier uh, Major League Baseball – the owners sent another offer to the players, and it was uh, 70 games and an 80 to 85% prorated salary to the already agreed-upon pay cut, and that's probably going to get denied uh, as well. I'd be surprised if the players take it at this point. They've dug in completely. and Anyway, so that's something that uh, I guess Keenan and Servideo may have to worry about down the road, but at least for one night we got good, positive, happy baseball news and not uh, more discussion about a wage a wage dispute that is just a nightmare for major league baseball so let's turn the page the reason why i wanted to record this today and talk about this today is this this idea that um old miss is a better job than it's shown and I've often said, if you've listened to, to the radio show for long enough or consumed any content that I've put out there uh, over the last few years, uh, something I always go back to when it comes to Ole Miss and Ole Miss football, I talked about it during the coaching search this past year, the coaching search a few years ago, uh, was that Ole Miss is a better job than, than national people give it credit for. And it's really kind of its own fault. Um, Ole Miss is a better job than it has shown. And really, I think... What it comes down to is all it takes for Ole Miss to show that is simple competence. Competence is what is standing in Ole Miss's way from being a, a Tier 4 job, and I'll explain to you what that means in a second, and a Tier 3 pushing a Tier 2 job in college football. It's just competence. And you've seen it in small doses in the past. You've seen glimpses, glimpses of... Ole Miss being what me and, and a lot of you, I'm sure, think it can be. I mean, if you take Hugh Freeze, for example, obviously the ending uh, was a complete disaster. But for for a small period of time, and in doses, it was a competently run program. He had, early on, he had a recruiting strategy that made sense. Uh, find natural ties to elite-level players and do, go full-court press on them. NCAA jokes aside, I know people roll their eyes at it, but he showed you that you can recruit elite-level talent to Ole Miss. He also showed you that he wasn't prepared to deal with what comes with recruiting high-level players at a, at a place like Ole Miss. And also, he was a, he's a good football coach. I mean, that's undeniable. Won some games there. Won 10 games, went to a Sugar Bowl, went to another uh, Access Bowl. I mean, those things did happen. The, the downfall distracts you from how they got there. Part of the reason for the downfall was not because they were, they were paying players. Because as you guys know, everybody does that. It's the manner in which they were going about it. On top of having an administration that was not really fighting in their corner. I think you should be thankful that Keith Carter is your athletic director for reasons that extend beyond just... He's done a very good job so far. I think more has come out recently, especially my guy Brennan Chapman did an interview with uh, uh, on Ben Garrett's podcast, really good podcast that Ben does, 
and kind of revealed to the public what a lot of people like really wanted to say, but they couldn't say for a long time uh, with the administration there, really fought, almost fought against themselves when it came to the to the NCAA thing. So competence in doses under Hugh Freeze led Ole Miss to two access bowls. Houston, not, I mean, going into his second year, was preseason ranked number four in college football. Houston Nutt had a team that was preseason ranked number four in college football. And I'm certainly not calling David Cutcliffe incompetent because that is absolutely not what he is. But still, even the Cutcliffe era had a team that was a game-winning drive away. Some people say an Eli Manning trip away from winning the SEC West and going to Atlanta. I mean, you've seen in doses. And think about how much shooting of their own feet Ole Miss and its administration and leadership has done over those years, and they still found a way to have teams that went to access bowls, teams that won 10 games, teams that were preseason ranked number four after, at the end of Houston Nuts' first season, one of the best teams in college football that could have competed with anybody towards the end of that year. All it has taken to to show you that it can be that kind of job is just doses of competence. Even last year, for example, I, I mean, Ole Miss went 4-8. and eight. That was not a good football team. It had a head coach that was clearly in over his head. It had an offensive coordinator that clearly mailed, I mean, Rich Rodriguez mailed it in. Mailed it in. The creativity that he showed 10, 15, 20 years ago in, in his offense and the innovation was just gone last year. And they still, still, we're a handful of plays away from seven wins. I mean, if you really think about it. So even incompetence across the board, they still had opportunities to be a relatively competitive football team. That's kind of a stretch, but you get my point. Is Even Ole Miss's bad teams are still close. So that's all it's taken. But because of results, nobody sees what I see. I see a program that can win at a high level. I see a program that has more resources than people give it credit for, and I see a place that, if nothing else, is willing to pay and compete financially with anybody as far as coaches' salaries and and things like that. But nationally, they don't get the credit. And here's another example of that. ESPN, I think it was Tuesday, uh, released their tier rankings of Power 5 college football jobs. And they did it in five tiers. Tier number one is great location, excellent access to athletes, regional and national recruits, strong infrastructure and commitment from university and athletic administration, few limitations financially, and historically a top five program. Tier two jobs, very good location and access to top 300 recruits, no major limitations around facilities, salaries, and support staff the ability to win a national title occasionally and compete regularly for conference championships, consistent top 20 teams. Tier 3 jobs, good location and or access to regional recruits, solid facilities and salary pool for assistance and support staff, adequate administrative and fan support with occasional challenges, a place that should regularly contend for division titles and occasionally win the league with a college football playoff appearance as a realistic ceiling. Tier 4 jobs, Recruiting or resource restrictions that make player development a focal point, 
Strong facilities, but average overall infrastructure in their conferences. Limitations with administrative and fan support. A consistent bowl team that competes for division titles, league titles, and New Year's Six Bowls a few times per decade. Tier 5 jobs is basically everybody else. Limited reach in recruiting. uh, Decent and financial uh, functional facilities, but not good. Administrative and booster... um, Challenges to overcome, a job where bull eligibility is celebrated and the occasional 10-win season is a big deal. So with all that being said, here's how ESPN divvied them up. Alabama, Clemson, Florida, Georgia, LSU, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Texas, Southern Cal. That's tier one. Uh, No qualms about that. I would probably put Florida State. I think you could argue Florida State belongs in tier one. Recent national championship winner, um... Recruiting hotbed, financial resources. I mean, they just paid Willie Taggart $20 million to go away. Wasn't a good hire, obviously, but still, they had the financial means to do it. Uh, Doak is is an awesome-looking facility, big fan base. I would have put Florida State in Tier 1 myself, but that's just splitting hairs. Tier 2, Auburn, Florida State, Michigan, Notre Dame, Oregon, Penn State, Texas A&M, Washington. No really qualms there when you look at their uh, qualification for Tier 2. Even though Texas A&M has not really competed at that kind of a level to make college football playoff appearances, that the kind of job that it should be um, makes it fit there. Now here's where I'm starting to, to take issue. Is when you look at Tier 3 and, and Tier 4. So Tier 3, Arizona State, Baylor, Iowa, Louisville, Michigan... Michigan, or Miami, Michigan State, Nebraska, Oklahoma State, Stanford, TCU, Tennessee, UCLA, Utah, Virginia Tech, Wisconsin. That's it. I would put Wisconsin in Tier 2. Uh, their record tells you they should belong in Tier 2. And so when I saw this, my, my thought was, what makes Arizona State Baylor, even Oklahoma State, TCU. I can make an argument for Stanford. Better jobs than Ole Miss. What makes them better jobs than Ole Miss? Here's Tier 4, which Ole Miss is in. Arkansas, Cal, Colorado, Georgia Tech, Kansas State, Kentucky, Maryland, Minnesota, Mississippi State, Missouri, North Carolina, NC State, Northwestern, Old Miss, Pitt, Purdue, South Carolina, Texas Tech, Virginia, Washington State, and West Virginia. So the qualifications for Tier 3 were good location and or access to regional recruits. Is Arizona State in a better location and have more access to regional recruits? No, absolutely not. Solid facilities and salary pool for assistance and support staff. Ole Miss's facilities admittedly are behind. However, the salary pool and willingness to pay assistance and support staff at Ole Miss is as good as anybody in that Tier 3, and I'll just keep using Arizona State as an example. Adequate administrative and fan support with occasional challenges. Um, That fits Ole Miss perfectly. Um, And again... If you want to use that as an example, um, 
administrative support and fan support, Ole Miss is better than Stanford in that regard. Arizona State is shrinking their stadium. I would say they have more so than Baylor. I would say they have more so than TCU. I think you're following a trend here. A place that should regularly contend for division titles and occasionally win the league with a college football playoff appearance as a realistic ceiling. Is Baylor's likelihood at making a college football playoff appearance higher than that of Ole Miss? Is Arizona State's higher than that of Ole Miss? Is TCU's higher than that of Ole Miss? See, I would say no. If it's so much easier to win in the Pac-12, and that's what people go back to, that's the counter-argument, as well, Arizona State and Ole Miss are close enough and it's easier to win there. If that's the case, why don't they? Why don't they? And Tier 4 jobs, I I don't see how this applies or how this makes Ole Miss in the same level as Pittsburgh. Here's the description for Tier 4 again. This is what they say Ole Miss fits in. Recruiting or resource restrictions that make player development a focal point. Yes, you do have to develop players more so at Ole Miss than you do Alabama or LSU. However, the state of Mississippi produces athletes at a much higher clip than I guess people give it credit for because per capita, the state of Mississippi is a top five college athlete producing state. Yes, you do have to share it with Mississippi State, but Arizona is shared with Arizona State and Arizona. Texas is shared by damn near everybody. Um, So I don't know if there's resource restrictions or recruiting restrictions at Ole Miss compared to Arizona State or Baylor or TCU or Stanford. Stanford has academic restrictions that make it really hard to recruit there. Talent development is a huge deal at a place like Stanford because they have a hard time recruiting players. Tier 4, strong facilities, but average overall infrastructure in their conferences. That is that is very true. Ole Miss is behind. They need, the NCAA's really kind of hurt that, but Keith Carter said on our radio show recently that uh, Ole Miss has uh, the next project is going to be a stadium improvement project. So that is coming. They're going to enter the arms race again. They are certainly behind um, the the big-time competitors in the SEC, but um, are they truly, truly behind Arizona State? Are they truly, truly behind Stanford? Are they truly behind Louisville? I know they've done some upgrading to their stadium lately. That's one I haven't really mentioned yet. Yes, I know they have a recent Heisman Trophy winner, but better job? Hmm. Limitations with administrative and fan support. Um, Again, I don't see what the limitations are from an administrative commitment to football. I I don't see what anybody else sees with Ole Miss. Because I remember Hugh Freeze was receiving a top five salary in college football at one point. Uh, Ole Miss's administration and fan base, albeit a smaller fan base than that of the Tier 1 or 2 jobs, but is Ole Miss's fan base really limited compared to Baylor's? Really limited compared to even Michigan State's, which has been to a playoff in the playoff era? Is it limited compared to TCU? No, it it is not. And the the administration's commitment to football um, is better than those places. Their budget's bigger, and they're they're willing to spend more 
to get things done. If Ole Miss wasn't willing to spend, Matt Luke would still be the coach today. Hugh Freeze would not have gotten a top 10 salary. Their commitment financially is certainly not the same as Northwestern's. Not the same as Pittsburgh's. And look, I'm not going to try to convince you that Ole Miss is a better job or the same kind of job as Wisconsin. Wisconsin's a better job than Ole Miss. It's close. It's very close now, closer than it's ever been. But Tennessee's a better job than Ole Miss. Miami's a better job than Ole Miss. But to me, they belong on the same level as Arizona State. Even Stanford. I know they've had success lately. But they have limitations too. They have, it's harder for them to get players into school. It's harder for them to recruit. They have no fan support. And realistically, this is the most successful stretch of, in recent history for them. And what have they won? And things have kind of gone downhill the last couple of years. A couple of really good coaches in a row. But when you're comparing job to job and commitment from fans and the ability to recruit and the access to recruits and administrative support and fan support, Old Miss, to me, belongs in the same level as Arizona State and Baylor and Iowa and Louisville and even Michigan State and Oklahoma State and Stanford and TCU. They do not, they do not belong on the same level as Cal and Colorado and Georgia Tech and Maryland even Minnesota, who just kind of just built themselves a brand new stadium. P.J. Flex gone after this year. You can count on that. Um, not on the same level as Northwestern or Pittsburgh or Purdue. They're, they're not on that level. They're not on the same level as Washington State. It's a much better job than Washington State. They should have added another tier, I think. They should have done six. But if you're telling me, looking at it objectively, where both Mississippi schools even where they fall in the pecking order of what the job should be and what the job is, it's closer to that of Arizona State and Baylor than it is Northwestern and Pittsburgh. The problem is Ole Miss just hasn't really taken advantage of, although limited compared to some teams in the SEC, taken advantage of what they have around them. Like I said at the beginning of this, they've, they've lacked competence. And because of that, they're not viewed nationally in a way that they should be viewed. But all all it's going to take, and I think you have it now, which is the important part of this conversation, is a head coach can change a job dramatically. One coach can change a job dramatically. Is Washington, uh, was Washington a tier two job a few years ago? Maybe not. All it's going to take, all it takes is one good hired athletic director, one good hired head coach to change your perception nationally. And I think, I think Ole Miss has that now. Even if Lane Kiffin does to Ole Miss what he did to Tennessee, which I I don't foresee that happening, but... If he's gone in a couple of years, administratively, you finally, it appears, have somebody that that gets it and is not doing whatever it takes to get the next job, but doing whatever it takes to make sure he does this job well. It feels like, and we're going to have to see results for, for this to be right or wrong, it feels like they finally have competence. And in a couple of years, if that holds true, 
maybe nationally people will recognize that it's a significantly better job than people give it credit for. they, They are in a state that produces better talent than people give it credit for. They have fan support that is better than is given credit. They have administrative commitment to salaries and things like that than people give it credit for. And once a new stadium project starts, maybe they'll have facilities that are actually competitive because right now they are behind, especially the stadium. That's way behind. But everything else puts them ahead of Northwestern and Pittsburgh and Purdue and Texas Tech and Washington State. Hell, even Virginia and Cal and Colorado and Georgia Tech. It's a better job than all of those, but now they've got to go prove it. And I think, I think, again, they have the people in place that can prove that. The results haven't bared it out. But Ole Miss, to me, is a better job than they are given credit for nationally. And according to these tier rankings, they're not given enough credit nationally. So we'll see if they can they can change that. By the way, tier five, for whatever it's worth, was Arizona, Boston College, Duke, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa State, Kansas, Oregon State, Rutgers, Syracuse, Vanderbilt, and Wake Forest. For whatever that's worth to you. The SEC is really undervalued here. Really undervalued here. Because I would put South Carolina ahead of Arizona State as well. I would put South Carolina ahead of TCU as as well. Um, Maybe I overvalue the SEC. But uh, I think I'm right on this one. I really do. Last thing for you uh, before we wrap up, uh, according to The Athletic. So the SEC, if you remember... Ole Miss fans' favorite sports writer, Dan Wolken, uh, roasted, and he wasn't the only one, that just ripped apart the SEC because their return to campus protocol did not require mandatory testing for every single player. Their plan said only test symptomatic players. Now, I believe Ole Miss tested everybody anyway, uh, but it was not required of them to do so. And as we learned, the finances behind testing, it's like $90,000 to test everybody uh, that comes into contact with the players and the players. But the SEC got roasted for that. All about the money, they said. They're, uh, they're not actually truly trying to protect the kids or whatever. That's what was said. Turns out, according to this report from The Athletic, they caught up with uh, a doctor uh, who's also an associate professor at Missouri who helped craft the... SEC's recommendations and guidelines for bringing the athletes back to campus. He's one of two infectious disease experts on the 14-person return to activity and medical guidance task force, blah, 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 blah. But it includes physicians and sports medicine people and professors also from schools, 14 people, two of which are infectious disease experts. And remember, mass testing was not listed on their recommendations. And this doctor... Stephen Witt said, the problem is, with testing, it doesn't really tell us anything. It can only do so much. On top of it costing $100 a piece, he said it adds limitations. He said there are inconsistent positive and negative tests. Sometimes, if you're just a few days with an exposure, uh, it will not register a positive test. And again, faulty tests uh, are pretty common. 
He said, quote, the infectious disease community does not believe in screening large populations of people who have very low incidence of disease as a scientific method of preventing further spread. It just does not seem to work. Now, in areas with higher prevalence, such as nursing homes, totally different science. Because the prevalence is different, the outcomes are different, and interventions are different. He said it can still be effective testing to monitor symptoms and test only those who show signs of the virus. He also said he'd have concerns about administering any, uh, mass antibody tests because they won't reser- uh, register positive unless a person is completely over the virus or at the very, very end. So, uh, number two, he said the task force provides uh, education and recommendations but not instruction on when to return to sports. He said it wasn't up to him to decide whether the SEC should bring back athletes. The decision came from conferences and universities. Uh, Their task force was just uh, to help them along. Uh, But he was comfortable, uh, it seems to have been comfortable with not uh, implementing mass testing. And uh, the last point here, the most important point, was early testing has produced fewer positives than they expected. The task force expected less than 5% of tests from returning athletes to come back positive, but they have seen around 2% uh, result in positives. He said the vast majority is asymptomatic and over it. They will have had it sometime in the last two months, and another large number of those athletes will have a false positive result, and they will be quarantined and isolated. Man, testing is just not consistent, is it? So basically, the point of me bringing this up to you is quite simply, um, sports writers, myself included, um, we don't know what we're talking about when it comes to this. And so when the SEC got ripped apart because they were being tone deaf and it just showed that they only cared about making money and didn't care about athlete safety, it turns out infectious disease doctors gave them that particular guideline. It's almost as if one particular columnist at the USA Today does not know more than the doctors the SEC consulted before they brought their players back. It's almost as if they actually do, to some degree, care about their players and made sure that they consulted with people to get their guidelines right. It's almost as if they actually did that. Hmm. What a concept, huh? Thank you so much uh, for tuning in today. Hope you enjoyed the show. Glad that you are with me. Enjoy your golf this weekend. I know I'm going to. Really looking forward to watching the PGA Tour this weekend. So uh, for now, signing off, we'll talk to you again on Monday morning. Don't forget to stop by LB's. Go see Greg. Uh, Get something to throw on the grill for the weekend. The weather, again, should be beautiful. A little hot, but that's okay. I have a feeling you're used to it by now. So that's it for me. Again, follow me on Twitter at Michael Borky. Excuse me. Uh, Like my Facebook page, and I will see you again on Monday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.